by the way, you may open your Bibles to uh, the book of Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, but um, uh, I'm going to talk today about are you a fan or a follower, um, but uh, you know, when Clemson in the past few years got really good again, um, and, and has been on a pretty good roll uh, lately, I didn't want people to think that I started wearing Clemson stuff because they were doing better. Uh, I, I've, I've always done this. They, when they had losing times, in fact, you may not know our in-state rival is University of South Carolina. Um, Clemson fans like to say um, that, that Carolina is in uh, Winston-Salem and USC is in California and Clemson is the University of South Carolina. But, um, but their ma- mascot is a Gamecock, uh, uh, which was the nickname of a Revolutionary War hero in South Carolina. And when things weren't going good, the Clemson fans developed a prayer. Can you turn down the ones in my eyes just a little bit? Lights, thanks. And this is the prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And while the tigers take this licking, I still thank God I ain't no chicken. All right? So, <laughs> so that's our prayer when things are going well. And we may have to pray that uh, this year again sometime. But anyway, uh, and, and so it's a lot of fun. And here's, here's something I, I, I noticed. Uh, we just got out of the World Series. Just... Just got out of it. So I, I was going to preach out of the, you know, the passage in the Bible about baseball in the big inning. But um <laughs> thought you'd get that quicker. But anyway, uh, just what? No, but, but you know, they're playing. And, and, you know, I'm fond of the Nationals. Uh, we're close by and all that. But, but, but I'm a, a Braves fan when it comes to Major League Baseball. And thank you. I see a head shaking. Yes, amen. I, but anyway... Um, uh, but here's something I noticed. The next day, everybody was wearing national stuff. And just like I said, I didn't want people to think I started wearing Clemson just because they were doing well. Because if they were on the losing season, I'd be wearing Clemson stuff. I just, I like Clemson, you know. And, 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 it, and I just wondered, I wanted to ask someone, when, when did you buy that, you know? Was it when they won this World Series or... You've been a Nationals fan since they got started, you know, a few years back. Uh, and, and I'm not, you know, judging anybody because I don't want you to judge me either. But, but it, it is a good question because so many times we are a fan of something until something better comes along. I mean, you know, that I, there's, I, sports don't rule my life. I, I enjoy watching them and playing them, but, but, uh, but, but I'm not that good. And, you know, who cares in the ultimate end of things. When Janice and I first get, got married, she gave me this great perspective. I wanted to watch some ball game. I don't even remember which one. And uh, she said, honey, but really, you know, we don't have time or blah, blah, blah. I said, but it's the championship game. And she said, didn't they decide that last year? <laughs> That's a great perspective. Then the light of eternity, what does it, you know, really matter? And, and a few years ago, a man, several years ago now, wrote a book, uh, uh, some of you may have heard of that book. I understand uh, Pastor Mike, when Engage was down there, he preached a series through that book. But it's called Not a Fan. And, and, and the subtitle is, um, I Quit Being a Fan of Jesus. And then when you look in the book, he describes the difference between a fan and a follower. And in Matthew chapter 7, we kind of see this distinction. In fact, I, that's what I want you to take home with you today. Are you a fan or a follower? If your Bible's open to Matthew 7, why don't you stand with me for just a moment. I'm just going to read uh, uh, three verses, 21, 22, and 23. This is the coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I, I just ask, Lord, in, in, in true uh, just quietness, God, speak to our hearts today. Uh, Lord, I, I know that my words can be uh, not the right words, the best words. But Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit can do things that we don't expect or, or anything uh, that we anticipate. That you are much greater and stronger and bigger and better than all those things. So we ask right now in Jesus' name that indeed, Lord, you would uh, just show us your will as we see your word. Lord, may we not be a fan. May we be a follower. And uh, God, we just thank you uh, for all of your grace. Amen. And you can be seated if you want to. There are a lot of fans of Jesus. This, this Sermon on the Mount is, is so-called, uh, from Matthew 5 through Matthew uh, chapter 7, is, a, is, is considered one of the, of course, greatest sermons ever because Jesus preached it, number one. But it outlines what it's like to be a member of the kingdom of God and, and in fact, the Beatitudes, which we've all heard and, and we think so much of, blessed are they, um, are, are a, a kind of a, um, a, a, a New Testament Ten Commandments in that uh, in our flesh or, or without the Holy Spirit, we could not live by what it teaches us to live in this, in this sermon. And when we come to the end of this sermon, we find these really haunting words that there are going to be some people that won't go to heaven even though they did the right stuff. I mean, to look like a fan. It's easy to be a fan. In fact, many people are fans. There in Matthew 7, at the beginning of this sermon, you, or, or in this text right here, in fact, and he talks about a narrow way and a, and a, a broad way that it's hard to find that road. It's hard to get up there in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those that enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The Bible promises there are more people on a broad way, not even walking God's way, than there are on a narrow way. Now, some people use that idea to kind of say, well, we're the only ones that get it right. And I don't mean it so down, you know, particularly my denomination or, or exactly how I believe every little detail. But here's the, the truth of what he's saying. There are very few people who truly put all their faith and trust in Christ and live for him alone. Live for him and his will in their life solely. That narrow gate, that, that kind of... You know, that, that was one like, well, I get a narrow path, but why does he say a narrow gate? It's hard to get in. Well, I, I'll tell you two things you can think about that. Number one, there's only one entrance into the narrow way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. You don't get there by praying. You don't get there by religion. You don't get there by going to church. You don't get there by saying so many prayers a day or giving so much money or not eating or eating certain things or whatever you may abstain or do. There's nothing that you can do to get into that narrow gate. First of all, you've got to come in through Jesus and trust that he did it all for you. And secondly, it's a narrow gate, which means you can't get in there if you've got extra stuff on you. 
I, I wear a pump on, on my side, and this is an old-fashioned phone case that I ordered off Amazon because the people who made this multi-thousand-dollar little computer that pumps insulin into me, and by multi-thousand, probably 10,000 plus, I don't even know how much that little device cost. They, they put it in the cheapest case they could possibly imagine to make. And all I had to do was get in the car one time, and I just broke it right off the side. So I had to go find this more durable case to stick it in that it would kind of last, you know? Well, if you carry extra stuff on you, it gets in the way, and you can't get in the narrow gate. If, it, if you think you got to get in there by doing certain things, that won't get you in. you got to drop all that and just come before God by yourself and say, Here I am, totally exposed. I'm a sinner, and I need you to do it for me. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? My brother-in-law is a mechanical pipe fitter in his life. And one day he had a new guy and there was a 12 by 12 inch square they had as an entrance down into a pipe that they had to get inside of and inspect. And he told the new guy, get in there. And the new guy said, I can't fit in there. He said, I can fit in there. My brother-in-law is six plus feet tall and about over 200 pounds at that time. And he said, I can get in there, get in there. The guy said, there's no way. He said, I'm going to get in that hole. If I can get in that hole, you're going in. He said, okay. So my brother-in-law said, I took off everything off my belt and everything. Turned sideways in that hole. And he went in on the right angles, went in until his hands had to come over his head. He said, all right, grab my arms, pull me out, pulled him out. He said, get in the hole. The guy got in the hole. <laughs> There's a narrow way, and you can't have anything extra hanging on you to get in that narrow gate, right? But it's easy to look like. You're in the narrow way. Listen to what they say down in, in, in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. You can claim his name by saying it twice. It means I really, really, really mean this. I mean, it's not only true, it's really true. They, and, and listen to what they said they did. He said that, that Lord, in verse 23, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and do mighty works in your name. They look like fans. They talk like fans. They act, but they're not fans. They're not followers. There are fans, but they're not followers. There's more fans than followers. He said that. Broadway, a lot of people. Narrow way, not many. There's a lot of fans of Jesus. Oh, yeah. I, I, oh, he's a good... He's a great teacher. He's a good prophet. Great man. Yep, we ought to do what he said. Yeah, I should go to church. Yeah, I ought to pray. Yeah, I ought to give my money. Yeah, I ought to read my Bible. But you don't have an intimate knowledge and acquaintance with the Father God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for you. That you could receive the Holy Spirit and know that you are sealed for eternity to go to heaven. You're a fan. But you're not a follower. See, I, I, could, I could go out to a store and buy the right helmet, right shoulder pads, the right equipment, and put on a Clemson uniform. And show up to the game and run the hill... And eventually, somebody's going to look at me and go, who are you and what are you doing here? And they're going to call the police and drag me out, right? I can be the super number one fan that has all the stuff. In fact, in my drawer at home, I have a jersey by one of the greatest quarterbacks that ever played for Clemson. I have one of his actual practice jerseys. Got another church, you know, as a fan, he looked it up, found it, bought it, sent it to me. But it was back in the day when they were super form-fitting so that guys couldn't grab your shirt and tackle you. And I put it on and my belly looked too big, so I just don't wear it. <laughs> but it's in a drawer at home. I didn't get rid of it because it's a famous quarterback, but I, 
I still have it, but you know, I can't wear it. But I could do all of that, but I still wouldn't be actually on the team. I wouldn't be a disciplined Clemson Tiger football player because I don't do the workouts. I don't go to the practices. Number, you know, number one, I'm too old. Number two, never could have even if I weren't too old, right? You can look at me and tell that. I could have never played on that team at any time in their careers, whether they're good or bad. They look like fans, talk like fans, act like fans, but they're not followers. You see, being a fan is not being a part of the team. Appearance is not acceptance. You can look like the Apostle Paul. You can look like Peter. You, you can even, in some ways, look like Jesus and not be a part of that family, not be one of them. Is that making any sense at all? Listen, sometimes, and, and why are we not a part of the team when we think we are? There's more than two reasons, but I'm going to give you at least two reasons. One, we give a false verbal confession. That is that you were told if you just say these words, you're saved, and the words are meaningless to you. Uh, uh, where I'm from, there's a, a it, it's considered a separate language. It's kind of a dialect. It was, it, it was developed and spoken by the, by the slaves and descendants of the slaves on the coast of South Carolina and Georgia. It's called Gullah. They've even got a public TV show in the old days called Gullah Gullah Island. You can watch that. There's a, there's a Gullah Geechee um, historical society now and all that. And, and so we did a missions trip. I think I told the story in church, but I want to reuse it to apply this. And, and, and this lady, I'm standing in the marketplace in Charleston. This lady's weaving a basket. And she said, say something to her. And I said, what? She said, say something to her. Well, that's, you know, you shouldn't do that. But I just looked down and said, and the lady burst out laughing. And she said, what did you just say? And I said, this white woman's never heard about Gullah. You see, I could say those words, but am I a Gullah? No. My ancestors were not slaves. I did not descend from those slaves on the coast of South Carolina. But I can talk the language. You can come to church, you can say, praise Jesus, hallelujah, amen. Oh, brother, how you doing? And not be a follower of Jesus Christ. He had 12 men who followed him. Actually, he had 11 men who followed him for three and a half years. He had one guy that just hung out. And he could speak the language of the kingdom. He might could, he might could even pray. He could hang out with the believers, but he wasn't a believer himself. And sometimes we... We've been fooled, maybe, or you just think, if I just say these magical words, I'll be saved. But you see, our words have to echo what is actually say, God, I'm a sinner, and I know I'm a sinner. I have to come to that realization and say, Lord Jesus, today, I'm hopeless without you. I'm helpless without you. There's nothing I can do. I can only depend on you fully and wholly. And sometimes there's just false actions. We think we can show up, do the right things, and that's, that's going to get us in somehow. The Bible says that all my righteous actions look like filthy rags in God's sight. There's nothing good I can do with it. A hymn writer said, uh, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. I can't offer God something that's better than he is. In fact, the air I breathe belongs to him. The strength in my body to stand here and speak today belongs to him. I'm very aware of that. I, I've got a, a, a condition, diabetes, I've had for 53 years. I've been expecting for the last 20 years to fall over dead, and it hadn't happened yet. Finally got to a doctor said, well, it's not going to happen. I said, what are you saying? 
She said, well, you've been diabetic for 50 years. If, if you were going to get it, you had already got it. You're going to probably live a normal lifestyle. I went, oh, <laughs> gave me some hope. I said, I didn't know that. I've been waiting for 20 years for everything to fall apart. She said, no, you're going to be okay. So I decided, well, I better get serious about doing something for the next 20 years, huh? Right? Sometimes we can, we can play the game. We have false actions hoping that'll get us there. But our actions aren't good enough. They, they won't cut it. They won't do it. Because just being a fan is not being part of the team. I can go out there and run 100-yard dashes, 40-yard dashes, learn how to catch a ball, throw a ball, block a man, tackle a man, whatever. Still not going to be part of the team. Because there's some qualification to be part of the team. Well, what does it take to be part of the team? Well, here's the scary part. Jesus tells us in chapter 5, in the beginning of this sermon, look in chapter 5 and verse 20, and it, it speaks to something I just said. Get back at verse 17. Don't think I've come to abolish the law of the, or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You see, the problem with the Old Testament law is that you and I don't have the power to obey it and keep it. Jesus came to keep it perfectly so he would be qualified to be our sacrifice on the cross. So if he had done what he did in, the, in his own power, he would have done it as God and would not been able to die for men because he is God. So he became a man that he could do it as a man so he could die for mankind. And he came to fulfill them. Verse 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a, an iota or not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever uh, relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, that verse always bothered me. Because the scribes and Pharisees were intensely careful keepers of the law. They never broke the law. Paul, being one of them, said, and when it comes to the law, I'm blameless. You cannot point to the law and say, Paul had ever messed up any part of the law. Because he didn't. And Jesus said, but unless you're better than that, you can't get into heaven. Perfectly keeping the law won't get you in, especially the way the scribes and Pharisees did it. Why? Because they were depending on that work to get them into heaven. That action won't get you there. There's a second scary verse that tells us how we can get there. Look in verse 48 of that same chapter. As Jesus continues to talk, he talks about breaking the law not only with our body, but with our mind, with our eyes, with our thoughts. And we come down to uh, and, and getting revenge uh, he talks about divorce and lust and making oaths. And then he talks about loving your enemy. And in verse 48 he says, You're perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. I don't have to be perfect compared to a Doug Campbell or an or a, a, a Andy Honeycutt. I don't have to be perfect compared to Kendall White. I have to be perfect compared to God the Father. Oh, Wow. That just changed it all. Who of us can do that? And the answer is none. 
There is none righteous, not even one. There's no one who seeks after God. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. None of us can achieve God's glorious perfection. The angels cry out daily, constantly. Even now as we are meeting here, there are angels flying around his throne, calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Perfect holiness. How can we meet that standard? The answer is you can't. It is impossible. But in the text we read, Jesus gave us a hint. Look back in verse 21 of chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The Father has declared His will, and He declared His will through His Son. He sent His Son to die for us, and the Bible tells us in John three sixteen that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There's the will of the Father, to call upon the name of the Lord, to know what He requires of us, and that is to quit trying on our own, to let go of all of our own efforts and all of our own uh, uh, ways of trying to get to Him that are not His will, and to submit to His will that the Son would take our penalty on us. And the difference between a believer and a faker, a follower and a fan, is going to be real obvious at the judgment. Sometimes on earth, none of us are good enough. I, I, I certainly know I am not good enough to look at anybody in this room or anywhere and say, oh, that's a believer, that's not. I've guessed at it. Uh, one time in the DMV, not here, but in another place, I know. Um, one time there, the lady helping me, she was smiling here. She was nice. She was helpful. She was like, oh, honey, I can do that. She was taking care of things. And I said, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? She said, no. She fooled me. She looked apart. Man, I was the nicest lost person I ever met in my life. She looked. I started inviting her to church. She never came. I tried to talk to her about Lord, but, you know, we're in the DMV. didn't have much time, but... The difference becomes obvious at the judgment. Listen to what he says in chapter 25 of Matthew, beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, verse 31, chapter 25 of Matthew, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to see me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. I was sick. And in prison, and you did not visit me. And then also, 
then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away in eternal punishment for the righteous and do eternal life. Let me just point something out to you real quickly. It sounds like he's saying, if you do these works, you are sheep. No, if you do these works, you show yourself to be sheep. And if you do not do them, you show yourself to be a goat. It's not in the doing, it's hearing the Lord's voice calling to his sheep to minister to people even as he ministered to people. I want to show you a film clip of shepherds separating sheep and goats just using noises and clicks and their voice. This is from Cabal. I don't even know where that is, but... In the light. Obviously, that comes from YouTube. You can look that up. You can also see some where a shepherd lets people call his sheep and that they won't ever respond, and he says something, and they all come running. You see, the difference between sheep and goats are obvious. They hear the voice of the Lord. In John chapter 10, I know you, you know these verses, but in John chapter 10, he talks about the great shepherd and how he calls to his sheep and how they hear his voice and respond to him to do his will. Truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he had brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know 
his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And then verse 6 says, This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. In judgment, that difference will be obvious. But right now, one thing you can do is examine yourself. Examine yourself. Am I a sheep or a goat? Am I in or out? There's no halfway. There's no good devils or bad angels. You're one or the other. I mean, today we're wearing team colors, you know, we're all, it's all for fun, you know, we can tease each other, but, you know, this kind of identifies that today, right? But this is unimportant in my identity. What is important is am I a sheep or a goat? And you need to examine yourself and ask, am I doing the will of the Father? And if you're not, you need to do the will of the Father. But here's the ultimate question that you have to ask yourself this week. When's the last time I heard the voice of God? And I don't mean that you heard an audible voice. Many times it's much louder than that. But this is how God speaks to us. The written word talks of the living word. And as we read God's word, as we pray, as we talk to God and ask him to speak to us, he speaks back to us through his word. He uses people, he uses the church to help us find his will. He uses circumstances, which is horrible to make him do that because he'll engineer his circumstances. You know, a couple of those sheep and goats weren't doing quite what they needed and they need a little extra encouragement. But God knows who are his. Does he let you go astray or does he grab you and bring you back? Is he speaking to you? And listen, God is the ultimate shepherd. He is, has the ultimate mercy and grace. He wants to know you. He wants to, you to be intimately acquainted with him. He wants you to respond to his voice. And I don't know where you sit today, what you are thinking, what God has done in your life. But I do know this, that all of us are either a sheep or a goat. There, there's not, no other choice. We're one or the other. We're in or we're out. We're on or we're off. There's no halfway. And so when you examine yourself, can you say, I know I am his. I hear his voice. I follow his will. I do what he asks. And I am doing the will of the Father in my life. And if you can say that, praise God, we would celebrate. If you can't say that, then I got some of the best news you're ever going to hear. Today, you can begin to follow Jesus. He said, everyone who comes to me, I will never cast them out. And if you come to Jesus, he doesn't go, ah, no way. He will accept you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you come to Christ in faith and ask him and come to him in repentance and say, listen, I need you. I know I can't get there on my own. I absolutely surrender my will to you. Jesus said, I won't cast you out. I will bring you in and he will make you one of his own. I wouldn't want anybody in this room, myself included, to get to judgment and find out I'm standing on the wrong side. I want to be in the company of the sheep. And I pray that you do too. Father, in Jesus' name, I just ask that you'd speak to my heart, to everybody's heart in here.